It is the biggest single cloud contract possibly ever, definitely the most talked about, the Pentagon's Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure Contract, JEDI, going to Microsoft late last week. The Empire Strikes Back. The JEDI contract is worth <laughs> up to $10 billion over 10 years, but just as valuable as the money, it's worth bragging rights and street cred in the cloud wars. This was supposed to be Amazon's contract to lose. Amazon practically invented enterprise cloud computing 14 years ago with AWS. When the Pentagon put out the requirements for the contract about a year and a half ago, some competitors quite foul that it was too tailored to Amazon. So is this a game changer in the cloud wars? Welcome to Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. I am John Fort from CNBC here at the New York Stock Exchange in lower Manhattan. And with me this week, co-anchor of CNBC's Squawk Alley, Morgan Brennan. Morgan, great to have you. So good to be here. And uh, who's that good looking co-anchor that you have? on that Squawk Alley show. Carl no, Quintanilla? Carl Quintanilla. <laughs> he was one of people's most beautiful people in uh, 2001. That's a good looking man. But no, seriously, let's talk. Let's talk Jedi. I don't Jedi. know, you're giving a run for his money with a red sweater today, John. I uh, just the, the have red, to The say. red sweater is very controversial. I'm very, I'm very blessed parts. to sit between both of you on a daily basis. <laughs> so you follow Jedi and kind of military contracting closely. How, how big a deal is this? Because we talk about the cloud all the time, but yeah. this contract seems to have just drawn a lot of heat and attention. Oracle was ticked off about it. IBM was ticked off about it. Lots of people wanted this. Microsoft ended up with it. Yeah, and I think Oracle, for example, still pretty ticked off about it. Um, back as recently as August, they were filing an appeal to um, the court case that had been happening because they had put out a, um, they had filed a bid protest before this contract was even awarded. It's a really, really, really big deal. We're talking about a up to 10 billion contract over 10 years. So in terms of broader cloud revenues, not necessarily the largest amount of money, but right. what, it re what it represents in terms of A, bragging rights, uh -huh. um, because you're talking about the highest security clearances uh, and all the security sensitivities to be able to supply the so-called umbrella cloud for the Pentagon and what that's gonna mean for all those potential future commercial partnerships to be able to, to say that. And that's, um, and and that's then, important because the military, the U.S. military is a demanding customer. When you can say, hey, we got the contract, they vetted us. Yes. You know, not, not only did we have our I's dotted and T's crossed technology-wise, but then security-wise, hey, we can work with anybody, right? Exactly. And, I, and that's part of the reason that Amazon had been seen as a front-runner in this, because they have a similar contract already in place, um, structure already in place with the CIA. Mm. Um, so they had already had that level of security, um, level six for for. There's a more technical term, but it's basically the highest level of security. Super um, so secret was, handshake yes. at that level for so sure. So that's why they were yes. sort of seen as, one of the reasons they were seen as a front runner. Microsoft was able to get that as well coming into this year and and um, and have that, which is why it was seen as a, a much closer dogfight, particularly in recent months than I think had been originally um, thought of. Uh, but. I think the other thing is that you're talking about government cloud migration more broadly. That could be something like a $100 billion revenue opportunity over the coming years, depending on which analysts note you look at. Uh, in tech, in recent years, say the last two or three, there's been some question about do we even really want to be working with the government, right? A lot of the younger workers, I don't know if I should say a lot, but some very vocal, particularly younger workers have been saying, hey, if this technology, say at Google, is being used Google to target like people on a, on a battlefield, maybe that's not a good thing, and workers have been raising their voices. 
Uh, it seems like, at least from what we've been able to tell so far, Microsoft hasn't gotten that much blowback from the employees. Yes, there is an employee group that raised some issue about this early on, but it's not like there's some mass protest going on at Microsoft over this. Could this be a turning point in at least the perception of tech as being somewhat unwilling to work with the government? Yeah, I mean, you could say that about Microsoft, you could say that about Amazon too. I mean, they also have their facial recognition software, which is something that they supply and contract out to the government as well. And I think both of those companies have continued to proceed with their government work. I don't know whether it's going to be a bifurcation between big tech companies, those that are willing to work with the government and those that you know see it as a potential risk or threat based on employee behaviors, Google obviously being in that, in that latter camp. Um, but I do think the government would sure like to see and hope that this is a turning point. I mean, the DOD is a perfect example. I was speaking just last night with the Secretary of the U.S. Navy, and one of the things we did talk about was that outreach to Silicon Valley and the fact that they are looking for, both in the Navy and throughout the broader Defense Department, they are looking for more off-the-shelf commercial technology capabilities, and they're really trying to pursue that with companies It feels out there. like everything shouldn't be political, right? Like, I understand some people have feelings about, bad feelings about this administration, some people had bad feelings about the last administration, but when it comes down to it, America's supposed to stand for certain things, Yes. and we live in a democracy, and we have certain military operations and there are big stakes and you sort of want your government to be at least as capable as any other government in the world. Yeah, right? I yes, mean, and, I, and I think Silicon Valley itself, if you look at the roots and the history, and I'm sure you know this even better than I do, um, you know, so much of it was born from some of those government ties, DARPA, uh, at least initially. Yeah, I mean, the, just silicon. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. And circuit boards. I mean, circuit, they were invented yep. for our missile program and our Apollo space program simultaneously, right? That's how that came to be. Um, so I forgot what the question was because I just got started nerding out We don't, we don't have Apollo. to have questions. But, we can just nerd out sometimes. But yeah, I mean, I think your point is that the government has been a kind of intrinsic part yes. of Silicon Valley's evolution from the beginning. So it's not at a certain point you can just say, oh, we're a completely separate thing. We, we don't need government research. We don't need government funding. We're not somehow intrinsically American. I mean, the, these, these things are very much entwined. They are. And I think the conversation has ratcheted up given all of the dynamics we're seeing play out right now between the U.S. and China. We can talk about trade and we can talk about agricultural purchases, but the bigger longer term tech cold war, if you will, and what that means for American companies that are exposed to that country versus uh, the work they're doing in this country. And again, it goes back to Google, which has been a source of debate, right? Um, but no. let's talk about Trump, because a, part, okay. a piece of this is political, because in this uh, forthcoming book, from one of Mattis's... Or back on Jedi, specifically. Yeah, yeah, back on Jedi. From one of uh, General Mattis's speech writers, he said at an internal meeting, the speech writer uh, recounts that the president told him to screw Amazon in this Jedi contract, and Mattis said, but we're not going to do that. We yep. are going to do this by the book. We are going to follow the rules. Some would say that even if the DOD did do this by the book and follow the rules, the fact that President Trump has been so out front in his criticize, uh, criticism of Jeff Bezos and of Amazon uh, at least muddies the water as to whether this really was fair. It I think the optics are muddied and certainly any kind of 
contracting or legal experts that you speak to about this Jedi contract award will tell you that Amazon had, has grounds to protest. There is an expectation out there that they will file a protest, whether it's with the GAO or whether ultimately they go through the legal system to do that. That being said, there is a very formal, very methodical, very specific, regulated approach to contracting that does happen in the DOD because you don't want to see elected officials, lawmakers, lobbyists, special interests, et cetera, getting in there and muddying the waters. And you have had other controversial deals in the past. We'll see how all of this, I think, plays out. But just the fact that, I mean, this is the DOD statement after Jedi. It's really long. And they go out of their way to spend a paragraph just explaining the involvement of the GAO, Court of Federal Claims, the DOD Inspector General. Part of the reason, we shouldn't forget, this thing's been like a telenovela. Part of the reason that like really Amazon has be been on, under scrutiny. Let's be honest, not a lot of kissing in this one. So it's not a great telenovela. I don't but know about that. It depends. I mean, the lobbying Scott efforts. Cloud, not even missiles, really. Okay. Um, depends okay. what you're into. But, but <laughs> one of the reasons Amazon was under scrutiny, one of the reasons the inspector general even got involved and in, was investigating this and that Oral even put in that bid protest was because there was this perceived conflict of interest with Amazon hiring somebody who had been a DOD official who had been involved in early stages of drafting the request for proposal for Jedi in the first place. Yes. So there's all kinds of So many allegations of, of conflicts there be a lot of, of We're not just talking about this. Across, yeah. Uh, has there ever been a time when we've been on TV together and we've talked about a subject and we said, you know, we're done talking about that. Never going to talk about that again. I feel like we're always like, we're not done talking about, it's like iPhone, done. We, we could well, have done it with, mean, with BlackBerry. With BlackBerry, okay. a few quarters ago, we could have said, yeah, you know what? But I don't feel like we're done not... talking about them either with all the security stuff. Well, I just did it, so I just kind of <laughs> killed that. Anyway, uh, Morgan, time for your favorite segment in Fort Knox. Everybody knows I don't know. This. That one was pretty great, but okay. That was pretty good. All right. Digits. I, I always <laughs> like to say it's time to get those digits because we used to say that growing up. Anyway, it's a few numbers You're that caught my right eye now. this week. Well, nobody else will date me. I'm married. <laughs> no, uh, Siri, what is first up? 70%. 70%. That is how much Fitbit stock is down since its debut in 2015. That is including this week's big surge after reports that Alphabet, that's the parent of Google, is looking to perhaps acquire Fitbit. Fitbit, Morgan, I always had questions about because, well, I shouldn't say always, long, because I remember getting my in-laws Fitbits for Christmas. They ended up in a drawer. I kind of never saw. in the saw, drawer too. You know what? So I kind of felt like, you know what? They, they're probably not the only ones. There are probably Fitbits in drawers around here. Maybe their ecosystem isn't that strong. They're still around. I kind of hope the Google thing works out for them. I kind of do too. I mean, it's pretty amazing. And you just cited, the, Siri just cited the 70% number. I mean, when this stock went public back in 2015, it's high that year was in the high, it was in the high 40s. It's mm -hmm. now trading around, what, $6 and change? I mean, talk about a plunge. And if you are Google and you are looking to come in and potentially revamp your wearables business, then it certainly seems like you're getting a deal versus a couple years ago. I like James Park, sat down with him several times. He has this vision for what Fitbit can do in health, just kind of beyond just being a wearable. I know Google's interested in that space too. Yeah. You look over at, at GoPro, boy, GoPro could sure use a Google in shining armor as well, but at least there's the talk it's of... I was gonna say, it's interesting you bring up GoPro because GoPro yeah. and Fitbit, those stocks have been very much trading together in a very similar pattern. Right, well, they're, they're both kind of yeah. fallen off the cliff together. Shiny hardware stories that have maybe lost some luster. Yeah, 
well, Fitbit, you know, hope it works out. Um, yeah. Let's get another digit, Siri. $249. That, that, that's all you have to pay for Apple's latest headphones, the AirPod Pros. They are available today. I've got a pair here on set. I'm gonna put one in. You're, now you're just showing off. I, yeah, I am you're showing, showing off. off. I mean, it's, it's TV, you have to show. See, they're a little bit smaller. Yeah. A little bit smaller than your regular stuff. They got a little Stormtrooper style, little black vent on the side. Because <laughs> they've like got, it. there's a microphone inside, there's a microphone outside, there's the vent. The vent is because now there's this silicone piece on the end that goes into your ear. It's the only reason I'm able to use this one. I have little weird mutant tiny ears where uh, regular things that are supposed to sit inside your ear, they fall out. So yeah. I, need, I need it to stick in. They stick in, and then there's this vent that, that prevents you from getting that weird pressure buildup feeling in your head because they've got noise cancellation and they've got that seal. I don't know, like a Apple let me borrow these. I don't know if I'm gonna spend 249 for some ear pods. I mean, they're nice, the it noise cancellation is good. I mean, the I timing mean, certainly is interesting. It's not just the money. I mean, CNBC does pay me. I could probably scrape together 249, but for me, it's like, if I lose one of these, how bad am I gonna feel? So here's why I'm glad you brought that up because okay. I too felt completely inspired to bring some props here. Okay, I have I have the original AirPods. Yeah. I like never use them. I don't think these are even charged. I keep going <laughs> back to my old school wires, which are all tangled. I know this is really me not looking very tech savvy right now, but part of the reason is because I'm afraid of losing them. And and a lot of my decisions are are made based on how bad will I feel if something goes wrong. My wife and I talk about this. It's like the car we have. I'm never going to stretch for the like most expensive car we could possibly get because I, I always think, well, how bad would I feel if it gets scratched? I don't want to be like mad, like ruin my whole week because the car got scratched. I don't want to be that guy. I, I feel like I might be really mad if I lose these AirPods. So that's what's perhaps holding me back from making the full purchase. But I can tell you, this is getting competitive. Not only does yeah. Apple have these AirPods, Amazon's come out with their noise canceling sort of answer. Microsoft a couple weeks ago during its whole presentation had its own pair of more than $200 stuff that fits in your ears. I think this is gonna be bigger than the watches. Uh, I think you're right. It's going to be certainly something to watch uh, in the earnings report. You know what else I'm curious about? I mean, these are sharp looking. I wonder who designed them. Was this Johnny Ive or is this the team post Johnny Ive? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, Johnny's been stepped back kind of for a while. Um, this might be the team, but these things tend to be in development for 15 to 18 months, so I wouldn't be surprised if he had a hand. I'll see if I can find out yeah. over at Apple. All right, Siri, give us another digit. Not found. Does that even really count as a digit? I don't, I don't know. Not found or unknown. <laughs> that is the total number of publishers Facebook is working with on its news tab. Have you seen this news tab in Facebook? I have. I got it too. I kind of can't decide how I feel about it compared with Apple's news app, Google News, which has been around for a long time. I think my main issue so far with Facebook's news tab is performance. It's not that fast. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's a little clunky. Yeah, maybe they need their own standalone news app, but then maybe does that defeat the purpose of having the tab in there and getting adoption? I think, I think they need a separate app for at least for performance reasons. I like, though, at least the premise of what they're doing, trying to put 
vetted news organizations front and center for people yeah. to share that versus stuff from, you know, slidemonkey.com when they have some Viral weird, yeah, some weird story yeah. that turns out somebody shares that and you're like, actually, that's nowhere near true. I, I like the idea of a standalone app and certainly, I mean, I have my Facebook account, my Instagram account, but like my Messenger account, but um, I would be much more prone to use a news app from Facebook, especially if it's good and it's cultivated on a daily basis than having to go onto the blue app and, and, and check it from there. So I think that's actually an interesting idea. Here's my take. Are you a big Facebook I, user though? I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I have it, but I don't go on it very often. My husband actually completely canceled out his account. Yeah, um, he's one of probably. those people. Yeah. But um, here's my take on this whole thing more broadly. And part of the reason I say it is because my first career, I should say attempted career, was in the music industry. My second one was in magazines. I feel like we could have a so, whole podcast just about your music industry days. But but here's what I'm going to say about Am that. Am I wrong about I that? Feel, mm, probably not. I mean, I, a, it, I think it would be a great, it would be well listened to. It might, it might be a little bit of a hazard for your current like career, but maybe it might you could be a fictionalize little, yes, it. Yes, it might be kind of juicy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I know you're trying time. to make another point, but I'm still, I'm just enjoying pivoting <laughs> back to your music career. I think we got to like do an internal CNBC like concert or something. I know, I would love together. that. Steve Leisman to... wants to do it. Of course, right. you know, he plays guitar. That's right. Okay, I'll let you get okay. to your point. Yeah. Um, so, given my time in the music industry and at a time in the late 90s and early aughts when that industry was really kind of imploding, I feel like what we saw happen there is streaming came in, it sucked out all the traditional revenues from the record companies and the publishers. They were like left for dead. What, what was still standing basically consolidated and now what's happened is you're starting to see revenues increase again in the music industry and for publishing because of the streaming, right? Yeah. So things settled down and then this new business model emerged where everybody kind of worked together. Not the same as the old, but still you're starting to see revenues gains you know grow again i have a feeling that this whether it's apple whether it's facebook i have a feeling we're starting to see the same thing happening for news for magazines starting to, starting to. the big missing for piece for me is local news so Bezos, whatever you might think about uh, Jeff Bezos and his business at Amazon and whatnot, with the Washington Post, he invested and has put that publication on a national, arguably global footing to have a real viable business. New York Times has managed to do that too from a digital perspective, but there's this big gaping hole in local news, local governments, school boards, these really crucial issues that need to be covered that used to be partly financed by classified advertising, car ads, national ads, grocery circulars, etc. That business is no longer there and there's there's no clear model for how the people who would report on that stuff get paid. It's a big problem. It's a big problem. I mean, we've seen some attempts over the years. I think about like Patch, Patch for example. Yeah. Um, and certainly there's still money to be wrung out of the newspaper industry, including some of the more localized or, or smaller um, city metro area newspapers. I mean, because we are seeing it, we're seeing some of those Wall Street and hedge fund activist investor types come in and, and basically cut costs and do battle there for better or worse. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that. But John, if you decided to ever not do television anymore, it seems like it could be a good idea. If anybody could tackle it, it's probably you. Well, thank you. Uh, it probably <laughs> wouldn't be a decision. I'd just kind of get canned and then and look for something well. to do. So late 90s, early aughts, were you more of like an Avril Lavigne, uh, a Kesha, a uh, Britney wow. Spears. Where I came up 
I came up, and this was my first, the first development contract, record contract I had um, in the late 90s was when all the different record companies, many of them no longer exist anymore, um, were looking for their teeny bop pop princess type person. And, um, and so I was in that signing wave with Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Mandy Moore, et cetera. No, I did not release any music. Um, I demoed some of the songs and that have gone on to become hits during that time period and vice versa. I worked with a lot of those producers. I would say, also based on some of the producers I worked with, this is a tall order and I don't mean for it to sound like it or outrageous. But um, I would say in some ways, kind of Lady Gaga before Lady Gaga, based on the producers I was working with and the type of music I was doing. All right. I'm, there's a so story to be with told. So with, with, with a mixture of dance and rock, or dance and blues thrown in. I had a band in the, in the late 90s. Tell me more. Face the Dog, modern rock though. We, nobody, nobody was looking for pop princes, and we, if they were looking, they wouldn't have looked at us. All right. <laughs> All right, speaking. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of things that have not worked out, uh, <laughs> that might be uh, the case with the viewership for Apple TV's original The Morning Show. At least, I mean, let's give it a chance. But the reviews have been mixed ahead of its debut. That is the subject of this week's Hard Docs. Yikes, John. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah, I knew Siri wouldn't like that. I was giving her a chance to protest. Um, my main issue with this, Morgan, and hey, it's, it's my show, it's my podcast, I can say it. It's like this morning TV show. Have you seen it yet? I, I've seen the trailer, I've not seen okay. it yet. Uh, it's, it's coming out. It's this morning TV show with three great actors headlining, but all three of them are white. Like, what's that about? When's the last time we had morning TV, like a major network morning TV, where all the main like principal, I mean we we we've had we've had Bryant Gumble for a long yeah. time, Robin Roberts, Tamron Hall, Al Roker. I mean you can go down the. Everybody's got black people except the morning show. I feel like I'm watching something that's kind of regressive. Oh, I think that's but a key point. For me. And of course the reviews have been mixed. I mean, the one fiction. that I'm really, the one right. that I'm actually really keying on a, in on, and actually the reviews have been kind of mixed there too, is for all mankind, which for is the mankind. space race. What had happened You're, if yes. Russia had reached the moon first? You are uh, our space. Story. What do you think of this whole trend <laughs> toward? What if out. things hadn't worked out? I mean, it's. I feel like it started with that man in the high castle thing that Amazon did on Prime. It's like, yes. what if the Nazis? What if the Axis powers had won? Which, okay, then they tried to go there with the Civil War, and a lot of black people were like, no, let's not go no, there. It's not open wound. But now it's like, what, what if all sorts of things had gone badly? Like, what if Morgan had messed up the read in this morning's Squawk Alley? How would the world be different? I feel like that's going to be on Netflix next. Not next, no. no. Morgan's music career should be next. That would be Gotta an interesting Gotta keep bringing one. it back Ooh. around to the music career. We'll give the morning show a chance we and will. have some time to develop. Maybe they'll bring in... Listen, I'm going to sign up. I don't know about you, but I'm going to sign up for the Apple TV+. Plus. I don't know about me either because... I'm all in on the Disney one as well, but I'm also a Verizon customer, so I'm excited about the idea of free for a year. My wife makes the decisions around TV watching in our household. She is the expert. And she's like, ooh, Apple TV+, Plus. that looks good. I'm like, well, I guess we're buying it. Like, whatever I might... Whatever smack I might talk on Fort Knox, $4.99. You know, I'll be... I might just be watching the morning show, Morgan. 
Yeah. I'll let well, you know. We'll probably do it out. all in a month, given the fact they don't have a whole lot of content. I have hopes for that show with Jason Momoa, the, the one on Apple TV Plus, where like everybody's blind. And oh, yeah. it's like post-apocalyptic, everybody's blind, and then there's some babies born who can see, and then people want to kill them, and I think that could be fascinating. That sounds like the birdcage, not the birdcage, the bird... Bird box. Bird box, There Thank were birds you. somewhere. The birdcage was amazing, too, yeah, There by were the birds way. in totally an enclosure. It was not a cage, but a box, but yes. And there was blindness, you couldn't see. I'm, I'm with you. I know what you're talking about. Um, I liked it. My wife did not, so. I didn't like it very much anyway, either. Anyway, always fun, Morgan. <laughs> hey, such a pleasure to be on with you. As a matter of fact, let's do this again in just a couple hours. Uh, Apple's got earnings. You're, you'll be on Closing Bell, right? I will be. I'll be here. I will be. All right. And that will do it for this week's edition of Fort Knox. A special thanks once again to my Squawk Alley co-host, Morgan Brennan, for being here. We'll see you next time. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. Subscribe wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Check out the reviews on iTunes. Leave me a note. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox series on LinkedIn. That's brand new and a great way to keep up with the trends I'm seeing both on this Fort Knox show and in my other work on CNBC. That's also the absolute best way to be in touch with me. Leave a comment on the series. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox channel on YouTube, F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com slash YouTube. Matter of fact, you can go to YouTube now and see video of these conversations. Or you can go to the CNBC apps on Apple TV or Amazon Fire TV and find Fort Knox in the featured area. Meanwhile, share this. Tell a friend. Drop me a note on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or FortKnox.com. And as always, thank you for lending an ear.